Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Today, the lectionary text steers us back to the book of Isaiah. I said we were going to kind of camp out in the Old Testament, um, and the reason I said that is so that you guys have lots of content to talk about in, in the Wednesday night class that uses the book Lies My Preacher Told Me. Now, hopefully, those aren't, uh, you know, those aren't happening here with this preacher. Um, but by way of reminder, I, I want to... Uh, talk about Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, a little bit. Uh, maybe you weren't here last week, and, and it's always good for those of, those of you who were to kind of have some reminders. But we talked about two separate portions of the book of Isaiah that really begin to take shape as we look at, uh, as we look at the, the book as a whole. Chapters 1 through 39 really focus on Isaiah's message of judgment that Isaiah has for the nation of Judah and the, and the, and the political center of Jerusalem. Um, but throughout the book, um, Isaiah is confident. And Isaiah is certain about this seed of hope that God has planted for the nation of Israel. That, that there is hope, even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of the missteps that the nation had taken that a seed of hope remains. Although he's fairly ambiguous about who that is or what that will look like or, or how it will come about. Isaiah offers some hints, but he's not real clear. But we talked last week about how there's this definite break after chapter 39. Chapter 40, the tone of the book changes and, and the setting actually really changes. Israel had been taken into Babylon and the prophecy of Isaiah had been proven right. For Isaiah had said, Assyria was going to give you trouble and Babylon was going to give you trouble. And eventually that message of judgment would come to pass for the nation of Israel. But after they were taken as exiles into Babylon under the rule of King Cyrus, Babylon had decided these people can go home. They can return to their land. And, and now had come the time when they were actually going to, to do that. And, and there was this promise of the seed of hope had, had this chance to take root and to take hold, for they were returning to their land and things were going to be restored, at least in part, to what they had had before. But when they arrived, when they got back to their land, things hadn't gone as well as one might have hoped. There wasn't this return to Yahweh, to faithfulness. There wasn't this return to um, excited and passionate worship of Yahweh. And Isaiah, who had promised this seed would affect change from the line of, 
of David continues to leave kind of this question mark about the who and the how of this seed of hope. And yet, even in this question mark, even in this setting of things aren't going quite as well as we might have hoped, we find in chapters 60 and 61 and 62 these magnificent, optimistic, redemptive poems. So we're going to turn to one of those uh, this, this morning as we look to God's Word. The, the earlier promises of hope are now fulfilled for the people of God. And this is Isaiah's promise fulfilled. So we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 62. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah 62. Uh, if you have a device that you uh, reference Scripture on, you can open it up to, to that chapter. Isaiah chapter uh, 62. And we're going to read the first five verses out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Those who are willing and able, would you please stand as we read the Scripture this morning. A reading from Isaiah Chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. For Zion's sake, I won't keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I won't sit still until her righteousness shines out like a light and her salvation blazes like a torch. Nations will see your righteousness, all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name, which the Lord's own mouth will determine. You will be a splendid garland in the Lord's hand, a royal turban in the palm of God's hand. You will no longer be called abandoned, and your land will no longer be called deserted. Instead, you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married, because the Lord delights in you. Your land will be cared for once again. As a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you with the joy of a bridegroom because of his bride so your god will rejoice because of you this is the word of god given to us the people of god we say thanks be to god please have a seat have you ever had like a huge disappointment i hear chuckling Perhaps that's evidence that it might be yes. I mean, I'm a Seattle sports fan, so I get a dose of disappointment like twice a year, right? Um, at least. Sometimes every week. Baseball season almost every day. Um, but that's not really what I'm talking about. That's not the kind of disappointment that I'm talking about. I'm talking about something deeply personal. so foundational to who you are about who or what you thought things were supposed to be about, what your life was supposed to be about, what you were called to in life. Um, I remember in college um, a story that I'm going to share of deep disappointment. Um, but before I, before I get started, you need to know this about me. Um, growing up, I, I rarely did things that I didn't think I could do very well at. Are any of you in that, in, in that boat? Um, uh, at least earlier on in life, and maybe, maybe even later on in life, I'm not sure. But it's, it's, I, I just, I, if I didn't think I could excel at it, I really wasn't interested in giving it a try. Um, it's a really bad habit. It's a really bad habit. I want to encourage you, try stuff that, that you're horrible at. You might find something you like. You might find something that's worth it to improve. It might, might help you grow a little bit. Um, but but in, in my life... 
Um, I, I really only did things that I thought I was going to do fairly well at. You know what that caused. It set me up for some real terrible disappointments in life. Um, in college, I had tried out for um, what, they, uh, what they've had for a number of years, one of these traveling ministry groups that goes around in the summer and plays a, at church, uh, church camps. Um, I tried, tried out. I thought I, I did decently well. Um, and I got the letter. I got the letter. I'm sorry. You've not been selected. This isn't, you don't have an invitation to come with us. Now, I was crushed. I was heartbroken. I, I, had, I had planned, uh, this was my summer plan. This is what I, I thought I was going to do. I was a ministry major. Uh, I knew I, I wanted to go and, and, and serve the church. I mean, thought this would be a fun experience, a great experience, something that would be meaningful. Um, and, and I remember... I remember going to chapel that week, and, and I had that letter in my hand, and, and I don't remember a thing that was said in chapel. All I remember was just this crushing weight of disappointment. I had, I had not been selected, and this would not come to pass for my summer. And so I had gone to the altar that morning and just done some business with God and tried to, tried to, to get my mind in a place where I could say, okay, then, then God, you have something else for me. There's something, something else ahead for me in the summer. And I had, I had left that letter on the altar just kind of as a significant point of, of letting go and, and saying, okay, this isn't, this isn't for me. <laughs> Somebody put it back in my student mailbox. They like opened it up. Oh, this is Trent's. And it came back in my mailbox. <laughs> oh, man. After this real poignant moment, here comes the letter again. Just, like, just letting you know. Still no. I read it again just to see if it changed. But God didn't do that for me. So, you, but we've all had these crushing disappointments. We've all had these moments in our lives where things didn't come true. Things didn't go the way we had planned. Life took a left turn or a right turn or a U-turn, and we didn't know what what happens now. And returning from Babylon, returning from this hiatus that the Israelites had had, they were supposed to come back and things were supposed to be the way that they were. They were supposed to jump right back into the good old days. The hope of, of this section of Isaiah, uh, who, who the, the, the writer of this next section of Isaiah, the hope was that Israel might step into the role, as it is termed in the book, of God's servant. That Israel was meant to be God's servant in order to testify to God's grace and God's mercy. For God had brought them back. They had been released from exile. Who gets to do that? They had been brought back. And as God's servant, they're, they're, the Israel's or Isaiah's desire for the nation of Israel is that they would be sharing with the nations the nature of God's redemptive work, testifying, God brought us back. God brought us back to the land of our ancestors and, and resettled us into this place, the place that was called the promised land. 
But this is not where Israel lands. This is not what Israel does instead. They ask questions like, well, how, God, how powerful is God anyway if we got drug off? Maybe, maybe their gods are more powerful. Maybe their gods listen better. Maybe they're superior in some way. And it's here, it's here where Isaiah begins to introduce, to give some clues as to what this seed of hope will be. Who is this servant? And while some of it sounds really good, this servant will, will point to an Israel that is restored, it will be a light to the nations, that this servant will serve as king. There's another part that doesn't sound all that good when Isaiah talks about it. Maybe you've heard of the idea of the suffering servant of Isaiah. That the servant was not just king, but the, the servant was the suffering servant, king. This suffering servant would be killed by his own people, would provide a payment for the sins of a nation. And for those of us who follow Jesus, all of these connections start to be being made for us. It sounds familiar. It didn't to them. <laughs> Jesus hadn't come yet. They didn't understand. They didn't understand this imagery of a suffering servant king. That's not what kings do. Our king doesn't serve us. It really wasn't all that successful in changing the minds of this Israelite nation. They just kept being stubborn, kept being skeptical, remained in that disappointed place. Yahweh has let us down. And yet, as we near the end of this book of prophecy, the book of Isaiah, we find these chapters, 61 through 62. We read 62 today. And this poem that is our text today, we, we first get kind of this angry, defiant verse. <laughs> and it's directed at God, not at the people. Not at the people of Israel. It's directed at God. Verse 62, verse one, chapter 62, verse 1 says this, For Zion's sake I won't keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I won't sit still until her righteousness shines out like a light and her salvation blazes like a torch. The writer of Isaiah says, I'm not going to shut up, I'm not going to go away. Until Jerusalem is known for her righteousness. Until her salvation is known and, and shining like a torch. Those pronouns become important. Did you hear the her in, those ver in that first verse? Isaiah is not addressing Israel or Jerusalem, but God. Referring to her as the nation of Israel. Referring to her as Jerusalem. Carter Lester writes this, quote, Part of the power of the Bible is the good news that it has to offer people who desperately need to hear such news. But the other part of the Bible's power is its ability to name the reality that people are facing. This prophet wasn't afraid to claim the promise for Israel. Wasn't afraid to say, God, you have not come through. God, 
We're still in this place. We're still in this place where we need you to show up. We need you to respond. I think verse 1 is, is a bit of a lesson for us. Some of, some of the people we know are, are facing that kind of disappointment today. Right now. People we're sitting next to on our left and our right. People on our block. People in our neighborhood. People we work with. I think sometimes we, we hold our faith as this place of, of joy, a place that, that brings peace. And yet so often, the people who are in that place of disappointment need to know that they're seen, that they're heard today. And we are the ones called to see them called to see their disappointment, called to see the place that they're at, called to see that they're struggling in this moment. The call in that moment is not to fix them, not to make it all better, but to be present with them, to sit with them, to stand with them. Maybe not with a lot of words, but to just hold presence with them, to stand vigil with them, to journey with them until, this is the, the New Revised Standard uh, translation of this verse, until their vindication shines out like the dawn. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes a great faithfulness. But the writer doesn't leave us there, doesn't leave us in this place where, where it sounds like there's no hope. It sounds like it's just time to be patient and wait until salvation comes. This isn't the end. We already said that despite Israel's tendency to doubt God, um, to be skeptical of God's power, to drift away from Yahweh, and toward these other tempting godlike figures that they had experienced in Babylon. These poems are these hopeful, optimistic poems of the redemption of Israel. Israel stepping into the people they are called to be. And here again, like last week, we see the power indicated by the changing of one's name. I think of the kid at school that I grew up with who was always picked on and pushed out to the margins. I think of the coworker who, <laughs> who makes mistakes, can't seem to be consistent. I think of the homeless guy that everybody recognizes, but nobody knows his name. So often these people are labeled with, with a name. We start calling them something, right? Because the nickname is easier, comes to mind quicker. And everybody knows who we're talking about. But I've also seen the difference when someone steps in and refuses to mistreat that person any longer. Names them something different. What are the names we use for people? I think it's powerful to know someone's name. I think it's powerful to be able to look someone in the eye and say, greet them with their name and say, it's, it's good to see you. How has your week been? 
And then sometimes it's powerful to be named something different. Champion, warrior, (laughs) boss. Or how about friend? Oh, how something changes in that moment. Oh, the shoulders peel back ever so slightly. The chin lifted to a different angle. Have you witnessed this? Have you witnessed someone receiving a new name? Have you ever felt that way? When someone gave you a name? Isaiah claims for Israel a new name in this chapter. Uh, The pronoun changes to you after verse 1. So in verse 1, the pronoun used was her. He was talking about the nation of Israel and then in verse, verses 2 through 5, the pronoun changes to you. Your righteousness and glory will be seen as you are given a new name. The writer is then addressing the nation of Israel. It says, named by the Lord's own mouth, you will become like a fancy garland or a royal turban in God's hand. And he steps right into the place where Israel was. And what they were feeling. What were the names that he used? He said, abandoned. Deserted. The imagery here is of a woman. Abandoned by her family. Deserted with no suitors. Deserted with no means and no future. In the society in which Israel lived. A patriarchal society. A woman that was abandoned, a woman that was deserted, was alone and had no hope and had no means for caring for herself. Come a long way as society, thank thank goodness, praise the Lord. But the imagery is crystal clear here. This woman had no chance. But... But verse 4 says, instead you will be called, my delight is in her and your land married. For the bride of Israel had found her groom. And who is the one who delights? Who is the one that delights in this passage? It says, the one who delights in her is the Lord. The Lord becoming the very bridegroom of the nation of Israel. And it's in that nearness that Israel finds its rescue, its provision, its care, and its comfort. And the risk we have to think is, is this. It's like, yes, Israel has found its, its, its redemption. It's cared for. It's comforted. The story ends well. God's the groom. Israel's the bride. Yay, happily ever after roll credits. Right? But that was never God's intent for Israel. Certainly they got sucked into that at times, but but that was not the intent. Me, I'm Israel, and God riding off into the sunset. The whole book had been pointing Israel to be this seed. To be this seed that would eventually sprout and grow into the servant. This suffering servant who would come to do the work of testifying to God's goodness. Testify to the nations to compel them to come and say, the Lord is good, the Lord is compassionate and gracious and generous and wants to welcome 
all who would come into this covenant family comprised of all the nations as part of this new creation, this new way of relating to each other, of worshiping God. This is, this is good. This is what Israel had been called to. And as we stand here today, this is our calling as well. This exact story, no longer abandoned and alone. No longer deserted and afraid. For God has come to us and changed our name. And changed our story. For we are delighted in. And we are cared for. Like a newlywed couple, we are united with this suffering servant king that the book of Isaiah had been talking about. All along our lives are made new in Christ. But not to go riding off into the sunset. (laughs) Me and Jesus, yay. Instead, we now take the place of Israel, transformed from our place of disappointment and set free to testify to the nations, being part of drawing this covenant family to God. The world needs invited. The world needs people who've encountered the grace of Jesus to say, God wants you as part of his family. To welcome you. To call you by name. And in fact, give you a new name. We are the seed. And we participate with the suffering servant. Calling people to this incredible new reality. Made possible only by Christ. I'm going to invite the praise team to, to come on up here and, and join me as we uh, sing, a, uh, sing a final song to wrap up our service today. I challenge you this week to see, your part, see yourself as part of God's redemptive story. As part of that redemptive journey for someone in your life that you know. For me, I won't speak for you, For me, too often, it's been too easy to make this just a real individual thing. Like, I love Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to serve Christ. But it becomes a very me and God thing. And the story of Isaiah is that the whole time, throughout this whole prophecy, Isaiah had a vision for Israel they just couldn't seem to catch. For as they were brought back from exile, they never fell into that role of testifying to God's goodness to the nations. Who are the nations for us? It's that neighbor. It's that coworker. It's that family member. who doesn't have the hope of Christ. And today Isaiah reminds us that we are the seed of Christ. We are the seed of hope that Isaiah talks about. May we step into that. Don't get sucked into the me and Jesus thing that's happened at least to me too often. We need to focus on that. We need to be intentional intentional about our relationship with Christ. 
But I pray that this week I might participate as the seed that points others to the source of hope that I have. May we live that way, I pray. Let's pray and then we'll sing. God, thank you today for your love and thank you for this book that that calls us to participate with you, to offer the hope that you gave to us and to step into that chance to offer your goodness to those that don't yet know you. Lord, we love you. Be with us and help us, we pray, to live as we live as we can as the seed of hope for the nations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In closing, uh, I offer this benediction and invite you to just extend your hands as a, a physical reminder that we receive this benediction today. May the nations see your righteousness and may all people see your glory for you are called by a new name which the Lord's own mouth will determine and may you and may I May all of us live into that new name given us by God. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.